Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. I'm Veronica Ambuel, Director of Communications for the Diocese of Colorado Springs, and I'm joined today by Deacon Patrick Jones, who's an award-winning author of Catholic fiction and the founder of Catholic Halos, and Deacon Doug Flynn, who is the Chancellor and General Counsel for the Diocese. Before we get started with our discussion today, Deacon Patrick, would you lead us in an opening prayer? In nomine Patris, et Filiae, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tu Iesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. So uh, for today's discussion, we thought we would um, look at uh, an article that recently appeared um, on the website called The Catholic Thing by Anthony Esselin. Um, he's, he's a well-known uh, Catholic author and professor, I believe. And uh, the title of the article is The Bondage of Deciding for Yourself. And he, uh, he starts out by quoting... Um, Somebody, uh, somebody he was speaking to, no one can be relieved of the duty of forming his conscience, said my interlocutor, who was a bit surprised when I said that no one can do that on his own, and no one should attempt it, since man's capacity for self-deception is boundless. Mine's not. Uh, okay. Wait, did I just prove his point? <laughs> oh, that no, uh, the capacity for self. That I'm deluded. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and so Esselin goes on to say that in one of the most ironic turns of human folly, that axiom that in moral matters you must decide for yourself what kinds of things are good and evil. It has been so deeply embedded in the modern Western mind that nobody thinks about it at all, just as everyone merely accepts that one of the main things to be taught in school from the time when little children paint with their fingers to when college graduates do much the same is, <laughs> is leadership and all the curriculum directors and resume writers duly follow along. Have I got my leadership badge, says the Everlasting Scout? What will I do without my leadership badge? So uh, he, you know, the article goes on from there, but basically, um, it, it's it. He's really, you know, exploring and kind of debunking the idea that um, conscience means that we all decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. And I mean, I certainly, um, sim or I, I certainly um, concur with his assessment that. Yeah, you know, the idea of freedom of conscience has become like a, a mantra, but n nobody, nobody really, um, you, know, you know, really it's, it's not about conscience at all. It seems like it's, it's about doing whatever you want. And I, I had this quote from uh, St. Jose Maria in his book, Friends of God, where he says, it's not freedom of conscience, it's freedom of consciences. So the, the idea is that everybody who, um, 
every, every, everybody has certain um, rights and no one can, can take a, take away those rights. Um, but at the same time, there is, there is a, uh, you know, an absolute truth out there. And, you know, what, so I have a right to be deluded, but there's still truth no matter how deluded I am. <laughs> well, here's what he says. He says, um, um, the legitimate hunger for truth must be respected. Man has a grave obligation to seek God, to know him and worship him. But no one on earth is permitted to impose on his neighbor the practice of a faith he lacks, just as no one can claim the right to harm those who have received the faith from God. So, you know, I, I, I think, um, you know, one one of the things that St. Josemaria points out is that in, in many cases, when people talk about freedom of conscience, what, what they're really talking about is, is license. Um, it, again, it's, and, and so often when people say they're just following their conscience, um, what they really mean is that they're, they're just following their passions, you know, what, what their desires are kind of leading them to do. So, um, you know, it, it, it definitely, which we should point out often come from concubiscence if we've been baptized, original sin if we haven't. So they're not really ours. They're the delusions that we've fallen for, temptations fed us by Satan. What, what is this big word you're using, concupiscence? <laughs> so when we're baptized, we are washed clean of original sin and its effects, except we have this sort of like when there's a campfire somewhere, there's, you clean up the campfire, you put it out, you, you, uh, bury the ashes, but there's still this scar there. And there's this in us, that scar leads to us having a proclivity to sin, a proclivity to want to be our own God to reject God and to do it my way. Um, as I've been mocking myself saying how deluded I am. Well, and, and, uh, in the, in the catechism of the Catholic church, um, paragraph 1781, uh, I think it kind of addresses that point. It says, um, conscience enables one to assume responsibility for the acts performed if man commits evil, the just judgment of conscience can remain with him, within him as the witness to the universal truth of the good, and at the same time as the evil of his particular choice. The verdict of the judgment of conscience remains a pledge of hope and mercy. In attesting to the fault committed, it calls to mind the forgiveness that must be asked, the good that must still be practiced, and the virtue that must be constantly cultivated with the grace of God, the kind of feeling of, I mean, for lack of a better word, guilt or sorrow um, that we feel or that we hopefully do feel when we've committed a sin. Um, you know, sometimes I, I think um, people experience that and they don't un, like they don't understand that that's actually um 
a sign from God, you know, that, that uh, like a call to repentance. Um, they, they, they try to often run from that feeling instead, you know, and, and in a sense. If I don't form my conscience, I can't be held guilty of what I sinned. That's what that just said, right? <laughs> yeah. Or they just try to, you know, or they just try to um, rationalize, you know, their, their choices. Right. And, and the reality is we're guilty then of the sin of actively not forming our conscience, which itself is a greater sin. <laughs> so, oops. Can't get out of it that way. <laughs> and, and I think if you go to the next uh, paragraph, 1782, there's a, a sentence here that I think has led to a lot of confusion in the light of the spirit of Vatican II, rather than the documents of Vatican II. Um, and it says, man has the right to act in conscience and in freedom so as personally to make moral decisions. Quote, he must not be forced to act contrary to his conscience, nor must he be prevented from acting according to his conscience, especially in religious matters. Um, and the it gives the reference there, and I'm not sure what DH stands for. I'd have to, to look that up um, because that's a quote from uh, some of the body of faith works. Um, but what we need to understand is man has the right to act in conscience, but we also have the responsibility preceding that right to form our conscience in light of the full revelation of Christ entrusted to the church. And in light of that, I wanted to go back and look and see, well, so how did the Council of Trent address this? And, and how did the catechism of uh, the, the Baltimore catechism address this? And what's fascinating is there isn't a section on conscience. What there is, is extensive discussion on the sacrament of confession and how to make a good confession and examination of conscience and the role of the confessor uh, to aid the penitent in forming their conscience through the sacrament of confession. Uh, and so there's a, there's a whole lot that we need to have all of this conversation in the context of. Um, and, and that gets to one of the questions of, okay, well, we're supposed to form our conscience and that's supposed to be in light of the full revelation of Jesus Christ. That's sacred scripture. That's sacred tradition entrusted to the Catholic church, but we're not supposed to form our conscience alone and outside of that context. So who do we work with to form our conscience? And conveniently, the title of this podcast is Catholic Halos, who do we travel with as part of our halo to uh, run towards Christ and aid each other in running towards Christ? Um, and that brings up the whole question of, well, do we have a spiritual director? And what is that spiritual director's responsibility? And what is our responsibility in having one? 
Yeah, um, it's it's interesting that you should bring up spiritual direction, Deacon Patrick, because um, it's it's such a broad, I think, and misunderstood topic. But um, we, you know, for for years, um, just in my work with the Herald, um, you know, people periodically would contact me um, and, and looking for a spiritual director. And honestly, I it was always hard to know what to say for the simple reason that, um, uh, you know, most, most of the diocesan priests are too busy to, um, unfortunately, you know, devote much time to spiritual direction. It's not that they don't want to, but it, it would just be kind of impossible for them. And so, um, recently there's been a group of people that have been trained through the um, I believe it's called the Lantare Center in Denver. Um, a, a good number of them are deacons, uh, and there are also some lay women. Um, but the, the you know the idea that we can't be our own spiritual director is well well grounded in all the um, kind of you know classic spirituality of the church. You know, I almost in almost no case, unless it's very extraordinary, um, can can someone really, um, oh, you know, over the long run, uh, grow and develop spiritually without you know some type of guidance like that? So, I'm um, deluded about my own delusions. <laughs> it's a wicked circle. <laughs> so I just I I don't want to derail the conversation, but I did want to mention that that I believe. Have you that listened was... to this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> That's all we do. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I just feel like it'll probably come up um, th- that it is. We do now have um, that information on our diocesan website. Um, so if you go to diocs.org. Um, let me, and I should have had this handy, but I don't. So let me, um, uh, this will yeah, be a me, test of the taxonomy of our diocese. Right, right, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> well, and like I said, I should have, I should have checked, I should have checked it before, but, um, there is, there is a section on spiritual direction that, that, uh, you can reach out to and be put in contact with somebody, um, to, to see if, if there's a, a director that that would, you know, be available to, to work with you. I mean, um, it's just a general principle. Uh, you know, hopefully this won't cause too much controversy, but I, I think it's safe to say that it's better if um, women have women spiritual directors and, and men have male spiritual directors. Um, so So it is helpful now that there are some um, lay women available for that. But, um, the, you know, the key with spiritual direction is that, um, it's not meant to provide advice on temporal or like earthly matters, you know, it, and, and it's, it's not the same as confession. Um, but the, 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 the role of the spiritual director is to, uh, um, ask, you know, ask, maybe ask the right questions and 
point out certain aspects of things that a person may not have thought of and also, you know, provide good resources, good, good um, books, uh, things like that, that, that people um, can refer to. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier, Deacon Patrick, we all have our, you know, we tend to be guided by our desires and our preferences. And so we need, need somebody to, you know, kindly but firmly point out that this, uh, you know, particular preference or desire is probably not leading us down a good path. Well, and I've also always told that, yes, the, the role of a spiritual director is different from the role of a confessor and that you should have different people uh, in each of those um, positions. And I think it would be fair to say that both of those roles can be very helpful in forming consciences. Um, I remember one of my spiritual directors when I went in and was particularly troubled and he put his hands behind his back and leaned back and closed his eyes and listened for about five minutes and said, do you realize that you've used the word I or me 47 times in the last five minutes? <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> he had a click counter in his hands at the back. <laughs> uh, circling back, Deacon Patrick, to your DH uh, reference, uh, it looks like that's to Dignitatis Humani, which was a uh, Vatican II encyclical on religious freedom uh, from 1965, issued by Pope Paul VI. Yeah, and, and also, and also, Which points to, to that. That's a new way of looking at conscience. It's a new expression of it, um, and we have to look at that new expression in light of the centuries of previous expression. But also, too, I, I, I think, um, it, you know, in terms of spiritual direction uh, versus confession. I mean, I, I will say just based on my own limited experience, um, it, it, you, you, one does have to be careful because many, many people, um, and this is not, you know, a bad, uh, this is not to say that they're bad people or in, in any way, but um, many people want answers to their questions in some way that would almost require uh, being able to see into the future. You know, they, they want to know, uh, they, they kind of, they want um, magic answers. Right. They want a crystal ball approach um, to things. I, I, I guess I do understand, well, I do understand why the catechism of the Catholic church frames it in this way, um, fr frames their discussion of conscience in this way, in that there are some things that, um, are left up to individuals to discern for themselves and and are not strictly speaking moral issues so um, that also falls to the spiritual director to you know in some cases have to say to people um, you know you're you're going to have to make that decision on your own <laughs> um, I can't tell you I can't, or I can't guarantee that things are going to work out in a certain way. Um, but you know, so here's some criteria. Uh, here's maybe some red flags that I might see, but you know, um, again, I, and, and, you know, the other thing that occurred to me as I was, um, reading this passage from the catechism is, 
uh, you know, I think we all understand that Pope John Paul II was pretty instrumental in the um, the development and the composition of this catechism. And when you put when when you add in the backdrop of communism, which tried to basically erase conscience completely and just make people into um, tools of the state and uh, economic production. It does, it does, I think, explain why they talk about, uh, you know, why the em- emphasis on freedom is, is pretty, pretty big because as religious freedom continues to be under attack, in, in many quarters, including you know here in the United States, we one of the things the church has had to emphasize is that um, freedom of conscience doesn't just mean freedom to believe; it's freedom to act, and that's what the communist regimes usually try to um, get rid of. They they say in theory, well. Yeah, oh, you can, you know, you can believe whatever you want in the privacy of your own home. You you just can't act on it, you know. And so I, I guess I, that's, I, I, when I read this section, I, I kind of have visions of John Paul II in my head, you know, because that was his main, it, that was a big part of his struggle and fight against the communist regimes, you know, both in Poland and, and elsewhere, I feel. Well, and I wanted to um, expand on something that you said earlier, Veronica, and uh, the whole magic answer question, um, because our faith offers us an, a stunning amount that a good spiritual director can help apply to specific life circumstances of, well, I don't like re- wearing my reading glasses or my sunglasses or should I move to take a new job in a different city um, and my spouse wants to keep uh, his or her job but that's back here how do we make these decisions and again this gets back to the very basics of faith and we've talked about it with the uh, series we did a while back on um, at the front of the prayer book uh, where when you look at, uh, how do you do an examination of conscience? Well, first you need to examine the 10 commandments, uh, and you need to understand them properly, which the, uh, catechism from Trent does, uh, uh, elucidate what that, what they each mean in our daily life. Uh, then you need to look at the 10 uh, I'm not sure it's 10, but you need to look at the commandments of the church. Um, and how are you doing those and being obedient to those? And you also need to look at the seven heavenly virtues and examine, am I falling for the seven deadly sins? They're opposites. And where am I falling for those? So I think I've used this example before, but if I refuse to wear my glasses or won't put them on, I probably have vanity or some other part uh, of me is committing one of those flavors of deadly sins. 
And that seems like a really small, unimportant thing. But there's a reason that I got those. There's a reason I need them. And if I don't use them when I need to, uh, I need to examine why. And that's a very, very uh, uh, down-to-earth, concrete example. And you can use those same principles of faith, applying them to, well, how do I work through the challenge of this decision that I have? How do I discern um, which decision is more faithful and is uh, having me live up to my roles and responsibilities as a husband, a father, um, and uh, as a deacon, and and what's right relationship within all of these. So a good spiritual director will go through and, and apply those um, foundational tenets of faith to life situations and help us see, oh, wait, I tend to be very prideful and I tend to uh, hide, my sin tends to hide in this way so that I keep my delusion from myself. Um, so that's an example of of what a spiritual director can do that helps with shepherding us towards Christ. And that gets uh, augmented or Im- improved when we're intentionally using, uh, not using, but in relationship with our um, spouse, if we're married, with uh, deep friends, uh, friendships that we have uh, with our pastor uh, to have a halo um, to aid us in running towards Christ. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a great explanation, Deacon Patrick. And I will say that um, one thing that seems to work pretty well is, you know, so if, if, um, if someone uh, goes to the sacrament of confession um, you know, on a fairly regular basis and, you know, frequently, um, the priest will give us some pieces of advice, you know, in addition to just absolving us and uh, assigning a penance. And so then if the person takes those pieces of advice to their spiritual director to kind of expand on it or, you know, get some some more uh, clarity or go more in depth, that, that to me can be very fruitful you know, where you, uh, because again, you know, usually, um, not in all cases, but very often the priest may only have, you know, five minutes to spend with us in the confessional and he'll, he'll, um, give, you know, drop some hints, so to speak. And so, so sometimes we may not fully comprehend what he's trying to tell us and that to take, and, and so it, it works, I think it works really well in tandem. It's almost like a, um, you know, a cycle. And then, and then, um, f- through spiritual direction, sometimes a person can, as, as you suggested, Deacon Patrick, see more clearly where maybe they're being kind of self-centered and then take that back to confession, you know? So it's all, it's all meant to work together. Um, and I think, like I said, we're, we're, we're blessed in this diocese that, um, the, opportunities for confession are pretty ample, number one. But then again, also too, that, you know, um, Bishop Sheridan and now continuing on through Bishop Golka has made a concerted effort to 
make spiritual direction something that is um, available to to lay people. Oh, and now's a great time to insert the ad for uh, Go to Confession. <laughs> <laughs> and if for whatever reason your parish doesn't offer more than 45 minutes a week of confession uh, or an hour and a half or times that are something you can easily get to, find a different parish you can go to confession at and ask. And and uh, it's, it's something priests are supposed to make available to... Uh, their flock as their role as shepherds. So ask them to expand hours to something that includes um, what you can do, if at all possible. Yeah, it's funny you should mention that, Deacon Patrick, because we've been, as I said before the show, we've been going through and updating our diocesan directory. And there was one parish that I was pretty impressed. In addition to their standard, you know, confession times, uh, they uh, put a little note in there or any time during office hours. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a pretty, pretty wide range. So, um, so, you know, I, I, uh, I thought that was a nice, a nice touch there that they, they included that option. Um, well, we're, we're just about out of time for our discussion today. Uh, before we close, just want to mention that uh, you can find this episode and all past episodes of Catholic Halos on uh, Spotify Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and several other platforms. So feel free to check us out there. Uh, Subscribe and get 99% off. (laughs) (laughs) You get what you pay for. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? Uh, Deacon Doug, would you lead us in a closing prayer? Certainly. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc in anora mortis nostre. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast.